Let's see, last week we talked about fathers, as being Father's Day, and during Father's Day, uh, we looked at the different father experiences that we have as our earthly fathers. We look at our earthly fathers, and then we look at God as a heavenly father, and we tend to place our expectations and our experiences of our earthly father on God, our heavenly father, for better or for worse. We also looked at the fact that God has sent many different messengers to us to be able to tell of who he is, to let us know who he is, who he truly is. They were prophets. They were people who followed him uh, regardless of the cost. But they were all slightly imperfect. They didn't quite have all the information, and they were people like you and I. They, they were subject to the, the failures of humanity. So he ended up sending his son, Jesus Christ, who was perfect. But today I want to talk about one of those prophets, one of those people that God sent to be able to lead his people uh, forward. And today we are going to be talking about growing your faith as God grew this particular person's faith. Now, when you think of God working through you, what do you imagine him using you for? God left you, if you are a Christ follower, if you decided to follow Jesus Christ, he left you on this earth. He actually created every single one of us with a purpose, and he left you here for a purpose. Have you ever thought about what God could use you for? Have you ever actually just sat down and wondered, you know, God, I'm here. What do you want to do with me? Where do you want to lead me? What do you want to do through me? Now, the book of Judges is where we're going to be. The book of Judges is about the sixth book uh, in, uh, in the Old Testament, so very early on, if you want to start flipping to the book of Judges. The book of Judges was actually written by a guy by the name of Samuel. Uh, if you've heard of the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, same guy. We don't know everything about the writing of the book of Judges, but we do know that one of the big things in the book of Judges is it stands in complete contrast to the book of Joshua. We were just talking a couple weeks ago about the book of Joshua, where Joshua led the nation through through all of these crazy things into battle and they walked around the city and the walls crumbled. In the book of Joshua, they had a leader. The people followed. The people had faith. In the book of Judges, different leaders come and they're not always great leaders. They actually have some pretty big character flaws as we will probably see throughout the next couple of sermons. The people didn't always follow. In fact, actually one of the things that really defines the book of Judges is this particular verse near the very end. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. In those days, Israel had no king, and he saw as fit. Kind of feels like America these days sometimes. Uh, it feels like everybody's doing as they see fit, but that is a different topic for a different time. During the time that we are talking about in Judges, they were under what we call the Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant, we talked about covenants a while back. Covenants are pacts or agreements that God makes with certain leaders that kind of addresses the entire nation. And it's named for whatever leader they're done under. So you have the Mosaic covenant, you have the Abrahamic covenant, you have the Davidic covenant, you have different covenants. The one they're under particularly right now is the Mosaic covenant. In that covenant or agreement that God and the people have had is God says, I will bless your people, I will give you great crops, and I will keep you free from danger of people coming in if you just do what I say. Just follow my laws and worship me, you will be fine. Well, Israel doesn't quite keep up their end of the bargain. And remember, this is a covenantal or contractual agreement. This is a quid pro quo. This is, if you do this, I will do this. We, in this day and age, in grace are under something completely different. But this day and age, this is what was happening. So in Judges chapter 6, chapter 6, we're going to start off verses 7 through 10. 
Judges chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites. Midianites are these people that were locals that the Israelites had kind of pushed out, but these guys are trying to take this land back. They're coming up from the south, and they're coming over from the east. On the west side is the sea, so no one's coming from that way. The Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all those who oppressed you, and I drove them out before you, and I gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites, but in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice." So the people were supposed to follow God. They were supposed to do things specifically in showing observance to him. But they have turned aside, and they're trying to figure out why is everything going wrong. Well, the reason why, God is saying, is because you haven't followed what I asked you to do. It's basically he's saying it's your own fault. But God still lovingly sends people to help. One of the things that he does is he sends an angel to come and talk to a man. Remember the Midianites are going around and they are ravaging these villages. They're destroying livestock, families. They're just killing people just because they feel like it. The guy that's going to be the hero of our story today is a man by the name of Gideon. You've probably heard of Gideon before. At this point in life, Gideon is actually threshing out his wheat in a wine press. He's actually in a wine press. He's, he's hiding because he doesn't want his crops stolen. He's fearing for his life. He is completely controlled by this fear, and he doesn't want anybody to know what he's doing because he wants to keep all of this stuff for himself. He is afraid, and he's living in fear. So God sends an angel to him, and that angel actually starts talking to him, and he comes up and he says this. The angel says this to Gideon, who is living his life in fear. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in verse 12. It says this, and he said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. A man who is hiding for his life, fearing that everything is going to be taken away, is approached by an angel, the angel of the Lord, as the Bible says, and the angel says, you Mighty man of valor. You see, God recognizes Gideon right from the beginning for who he can be, not just for who he currently is. When God looks at each and every single one of us, he looks at you and he sees you for who you can be, not just for who you currently are. That's incredibly important. God goes right to the heart of the matter. I know who you can be. It's not who you are right now, but I can see who you're going to be. Now, Gideon bypasses this response, just goes right past it, and he starts actually talking about national problems. Uh, in verse 13, Gideon says to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? What's up? Why, why is this happening? Where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Gideon says, What's up with our nation, God? why is it in the state that it's in? You said that you were going to be with us. I've heard of these miracles. I've heard of these crazy things that you did to bring your people out of bondage. Where are they at? I'm not seeing any of this evidence. You might be standing here in this nation today going the exact same route saying, you know what, God, I heard that you were for us as Christians. I heard that you did things on our behalf, and I heard that you did miracles back in the day. Where are your miracles? Why aren't you showing up? You might feel that way today. Why has God not shown up? Is God still here? Is he still working? Judges chapter 6, verse 14, the next verse, says this, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this mighty yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? God cuts right to the heart of the matter. 
go in this might of yours. So far, we've only been shown a very timid man, so God's seeing something that we're not. But he also says, have I not sent you? Sometimes, God puts something on your heart because he wants you to do something about it. God has put this, apparently, from what his words are saying, this is on Gideon's heart about the nation, about the problems that he's having, because God wants Gideon to get up and do something about it. God might do something with your life in the same way. He might put something on your heart because he wants you to be ready to do something about it. Verse 15 says this. So he said to them, this is uh, Gideon speaking, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So Gideon all of a sudden realizes God saying, I'm choosing you to save this nation and bring them out of this. And Gideon says, whoa, wait a sec. Gideon comes up with excuses. Gideon starts looking at this, and he says, you know what? How can I do this? Gideon looks at himself, and he says, this is way too big for me. You, you, you've probably felt this way. You've got problems that God puts on your heart. You think of these. You watch the news and you think of these and you're like, how could I ever even think about doing something about this? This problem is way too big beyond me. Gideon has that same response. This is beyond me. I have no way I could ever physically even think about doing this. Do I really want to put in the effort? Next thing he says is that my tribe is the weakest in Manasseh. He says, my family is weak. And he's not completely wrong here. In fact, actually soon in the story, we're going to find out that Gideon's family, in fact, his father, is the one that helped create and erect the false god statues that are in the middle of town. His family is kind of leading the rest of the town down the wrong path because of their example. His family is the weak family. They, they are the weakest link, to quote the old show. Each of us has a different family background, and I don't know what your family background is. My family, my mom and dad split when I was young, uh, and we had a little bit of a shaky start. We moved around all the time. I didn't have a Christian heritage path on to me. I had to choose that. I'm the first in my family to get a master's degree and to go to college. We get to choose our own choices. I don't know where your family is. Your family might be the family that everybody in the town knows for partying a little too hard. Your family might be the family that occupies the entire jail cell in the county jail. Your family might be the ones that everybody says, they're a little bit wacko. I don't know your family, but God didn't choose your family. He's choosing you, and you get to make your own choice despite your family's reputation, just like Gideon had this opportunity and finally, he says, I'm not worth noting. I'm, I'm no one. I, I, he struggles with self-confidence. I don't know why he struggled with self-confidence. But you'll notice here, all of the excuses are pointed towards Gideon and Gideon's ability. Not a single one of these excuses are pointed towards God and God's ability. Gideon's excuses all point back to him and put the burden on him. I, I, I. We limit ourselves when our response is I, I, I. It changes when we start focusing on God. What makes Gideon stand out, though, is his response is different. Despite his excuses, he accepts. He's about to be given an incredible burden and responsibility, and he has excuses, legitimate ones. He's all focused on himself, but he still accepts God's calling on his life, and that's what makes him different. What's crazy about this is if you think about Moses, okay, Moses you've heard of before. Uh, we talked about the Mosaic Covenant. Moses led the people out. You think Ten Commandments. You think the fire on the mountain. You think of crossing the sea. 
When Moses was called in Exodus chapter 4, verse 14, Moses gave up a bunch of excuses. In fact, Moses gave God so many excuses in verse 14 of Exodus 4, God's anger burns at him. God was getting irate with Moses. Why? Because Moses was trying to wiggle out of his responsibility. Moses' excuses were trying to get away from what God was calling him. Here, Gideon comes up with excuses, but he automatically accepts that God's in control and he has enough faith to move forward. Gideon's faith is growing. Moses was trying to separate. Now, hop over with me to Judges chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. It's just down a couple of verses. Now, it came to pass on the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull. This is God calling him to do something the second bull of seven years, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has cut down. We've already talked about that. And the wooden image that is beside it. Build an altar there for the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the images that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants, and he did as the Lord had said to him. Because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. So Gideon, this great man of great faith that the angel has very clearly proclaimed, not once but twice, has such great faith that he is completely scared out of his wits and uh, he does what God has told him to do in the middle of the night because he's afraid. But he did it. The point here isn't that he did it at night when he was completely afraid. It was while he was still trembling, while he was still afraid, while he still had great concerns about his calling, he still did it. Gideon has a growing faith. It starts really small, small as a mustard seed. And God doesn't call Gideon to do the great big thing yet. He starts him with something small that he can do. This is where he puts him. When God calls you to do something, when he puts something in your life, he's going to call you to do something small and manageable. And then he's going to build your faith. He's not going to call you to automatically solve the problem. He's going to start you small. And this is where Gideon starts. He starts right here because God called and used Gideon where he was at. And he's going to do the same thing to you. And this is where Gideon starts believing God's promises. Skip down a couple more verses to 6, verses 36 and 40, well, through 40. So Gideon said to God, If you're going to save Israel by my hands, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool out on the threshing floor. And if there's dew on the fleece only, and it is dry all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. And he rose up the next morning, and he squeezed out the fleece together. He wrung out the dew of the fleece, and had a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it be dry now on the fleece, but wet on the ground. Let there be dew. And God said, did so at that night. The dry, the dry was on the fleece only, but there was dew all over the ground. Now, you look at this passage and you're like, okay, what is happening here? Why is Gideon doing this? This is what we call fleecing God or testing out God. And you've probably done it yourself. Gideon is uncertain of his calling. So he says, okay, God, um, if you're in control, then you're going to, I'm going to flip this coin and it's going to land on its side because that's what your will is, and I'll do your will. Gideon is looking for some sort of sign, and we all get caught up in looking for signs, and this is where Gideon is at. Why is he doing this? Because he's not completely able to wrap his head around what God is calling. It's too monumental. So he's trying to figure out how to, to navigate these new waters. You also have to ask yourself, what is God's reaction? God has a reaction here. You'll notice that God is gracious and patient. God works with Gideon during this time, God is 
very patient with Gideon. He's working and he's growing. Gideon is not trying to wiggle out of his this. Uh, his um, responsibility. He's trying to grow into it, but he's not sure how to. So as Gideon is growing in his faith, God is walking along with him, and he's allowing him to do these things. Now, there is a point of contention here that some people will point out. If you know your Bible, you will say, well, Jesus said something about uh, people seeking after signs in the New Testament, didn't he? Yes, he did. In Matthew 12, 39, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Those are Jesus' own words to a bunch of people that were seeking after a sign. If you're the Messiah, show us a sign. If you're the Messiah, show us a sign. So you've got Gideon, who is okay with doing a sign on this side, and Jesus saying those who seek after a sign on the other side are wicked and adulterous. So there seems to be something contrary. Something's not lining up. Why is that different? In context, what Jesus is saying to the generation when he talks to them, the Pharisees, those that are the religious rulers who should have known, they kept seeking after a sign. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to wiggle out of believing in Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is, I have shown you enough of who I am for you to have faith by now. And if you don't have faith by now, you're not going to have faith. He had shown them miracle after miracle. He'd already shown them by the time he points this out Several miracles are already recorded that we know very clearly that he has done. And by the time they continue to ask, he's like, you should have had faith by now. What you're doing is you're trying to figure out a way to use this as a stumbling block to your growing forward. You're trying to get out of having faith in me by just saying, show me this, show me this. They're getting caught up in the miracles instead of having faith. What's interesting when we look at Gideon is that we actually have tools that he lacked. Think of Gideon in his day. One thing that he did not have was the completed word of God that we have. If you have it in your lap or if you sometimes have it on your phone, like I do. I've got it on my phone. I've got it on my iPad. We have these digital Bibles. We have these other Bibles that are written down for us. Even if you don't know how to search this one, you could probably do a Google search. What does God's word say about love? And you get a whole bunch of listing of Bibles. We have tools for us. And specifically, God's word says of itself that it is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. Something that's a very familiar verse if you ever went to Awana. God wrote his word down and then we have mass print copies of it or digital copies so that we can look at what God has said on the subject. Something that Gideon didn't have. We don't know if he could read or not, but we do know that he did not have access to the full copy of God's word, partly because it wasn't all written, partly because... He would have had to go on, and the Torahs would have been in um, the synagogue, and they wouldn't have even been able to grab those as a normal person. He didn't have access to it. But what else did he not have access to? He also didn't have access to the Holy Spirit. It's one thing that we have access to in the age of grace. Now, I want to actually have you hold your finger in the book of Judges, and we're going to flip to the New Testament to John 16, 13. John 16, 13. John 16, 13 says this. However, when he, this is Jesus talking of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you of the things to come. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of us as believers. If you have accepted Christ as Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to illuminate, to tell you the truth, and to show you where God is moving. Gideon didn't have access to this. We have so many more tools when we are 
trying to discern God's will for our lives, that we don't have to resort to throwing out the fleece, as we say. You have God's word, and what God's word says you can do and what you can't do. And you also have the Holy Spirit working inside you, pointing you where God is moving. Now, Gideon's name, after all these events, will eventually be changed to Jerubbabel. Jerubbabel and Gideon are interchangeably used throughout the, uh, the Bible. So if you look up Gideon or later on in the uh, New Testament, you'll see Jerubbabel and it's mentioned in Gideon. His name gets changed because of these events. Now, if you've ever been to a rodeo, you've probably seen a lasso event where a man rides around on a horse and he tries to lasso either a young cow or maybe even a pig. And he tries to wrangle it down. He tries to tie it up. You ever seen something get hogtied? That's where the expression comes from. To wrestle or lang uh, to lasso or re- wow, to lasso or wrangle is what Gideon's name is meaning now. Jerubbabel means to lasso or wrangle with Baal. Baal is the false god. So Gideon wrangled with he he struggled with Baal. He overcame Baal. He tied him up. Now. God recognizes you for who you can be, not just for who you currently are. I've said this over and over again. You probably know the story and events which were about to happen. Gideon starts with an army. He's finally ready. God shows up. He does the the proofing with the fleece. And Gideon puts out the call. 32,000 men come. They are up against an army of 135,000 people. The opposing army is 135,000 people. They start with 32,000 people. God says, if you win with this, you're going to get the glory. I want the glory. So God starts chopping down the army, slowly whittling it away. Eventually, he gets all the way down to 300 men, from 32,000 down to 300 men. The 300 men happen to be the guys that laugh water like a dog. Have you ever seen someone go up to a pond, get on all fours, and laugh the water like a dog? Apparently, these are the guys that did that. I've only seen my kids do that, and I've never seen an adult do that. Not the most reliable and trustworthy group of people, not the ones you want to have on your side. And above that, you've got 300 people of questionable nature because they laugh water like a dog and they don't cup and water drink. But he gives them some very unique tools of warfare. Now, when I think of tools, modern day age, I think of assault rifles. I think of grenade launchers. I think of tanks or atomic bombs, maybe a little bit overkill. In their day and age, they had chariots, they had swords, they had shields, they had hatchets. But what does God give them? If you know the story, what happens is God gives them a trumpet. The trumpet is a shofar horn. It's an antler that's been cut off so they can use it as a horn. They give them a small pitcher, a small torch, and a small clay pitcher. Clay pitcher. When you think of clay pitcher, you think of warfare, right? You know, because everybody wants to bring in a clay pitcher to battle so it can break in the first 10 seconds, you know, knock it over someone's head. That's all they're good for is holding water and breaking. In fact, actually, God's word makes mention of clay pitchers breaking so easily all the time. He talks about us about that. They bring in a ram's horn, a small torch, and a clay pitcher because God knows that they need to have faith in him. And it needs to be completely absurd because he wants to have the glory. And he wants them to have their faith be built continually in him. Now, following God is about where you're deciding to place your trust. And these people had to place their trust in God. God ended up showing Gideon some really neat things and gave him some encouragement even before the battle. But God built 
Gideon's trust from a very small thing. He had him do little things in little steps. And he kept giving him larger and larger tasks as his faith was built. God's not going to put something on your heart that you can't do right away. He's going to give you little steps. And he's going to continue to build you because he wants you to build your faith in him. But following God is not about your past. It's not about your family issues. And it's not about your self-doubt. All the excuses you can bring... God knows how to work around those. What he wants you to do is fully trust him, to follow him, to have faith in him. God wants you to build your faith, and he's going to lead you down a path that does that. God is calling you to greater faith, and when you think about God working through you, I asked, what do you imagine him using you for? Have you thought of that? What would God use me for? Why did he leave me here? Now, I've used the illustration of the mustard seed several times. The mustard seed actually comes from Luke chapter 17, verse 6. Luke chapter 17, verse 6. It says this, And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted by the sea, and it would obey you. Jesus Christ says that your faith just has to be really small. It doesn't have to be really big. It's the smallest seed that we know of is a mustard seed that produces just this huge, huge tree. You don't have to have huge faith to begin with. You just have to have little faith and the willingness to act on that faith. That's where Gideon was. That's where he started. Gideon started with little faith, but he was willing to act on it. Yes, he started out acting on it in the middle of the night because he was afraid. He was trembling. He was completely afraid, but he still followed God. And that act started the catalyst of growing his faith to what it was when he won that battle with his army. Don't get caught up in looking for signs and wonders. Gideon was looking for different signs. He was looking for different wonders. Don't get caught up in those. Get caught up in looking for God's awesome power. The signs and wonders, all they do is they just show you that there's a sign and a wonder. They don't actually correct the root problem of your faith. Your faith needs to be placed securely in God not in the thing that you're seeing, but in the one that you can't see. You have to learn how to trust him right now, no matter how small your faith is. Remember, God has a plan for your life. He wants to grow you into the largest faith holder that you can be. And he wants to do something great through you. Now you can ask and have the same problems that Gideon had. Gideon had his excuses, but they were all Gideon-focused. When you come up with your excuses, who are they focused upon? Are they focused on God or are they focused on you? Typically, our excuses are focused on us and we limit ourselves and what God can do through us because of our own excuses, because we are self-focused, because we look at our excuses. We look at what we can do. We fail to look at God and what he can do. Remember, when God is looking at you, he's looking at you and he's calling you where you're at and he sees you not just for who you are, but for who you can be. Just as God recognized Gideon for who he could be, he saw him. He called him a mighty man of valor long before we ever saw that mighty man of valor. God looks at you for who you can be. Will you trust him with that person? Will you put your faith into a God that can use you for unimaginable things? Don't let your excuses limit what God can do through your life. Don't let your family circumstances, don't let your background, don't let your self-doubt 
limit what God can do through you because the possibilities are limitless. Trust him, even if it's a little step today, even if you have to act in the middle of the night, just like Gideon, trust him, it's worth it. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to just look at a man who learned to fully and wholly trust you, even with the littlest of steps. And I know it was a baby step that he had to take. And I know that I know that he wasn't a man that started off with great faith, but you used him for so many things. So Lord, help me to be a person that, that follows you, even when I am uncertain, even when I don't know what the plan looks like. Lord, help me to be a person. Help each of the people here hearing this message to put their faith in you even when they can't see the next step. Lord, I thank you so much for an opportunity to grow our faith today. Help us to take it. In Jesus' name, amen.